Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Ethan Diver, and with me, as always, is Kevin Heck. How's it going, everyone? So today, Kevin and I are going to talk a little bit about coverage, about uh, killing weeds pre-harvest, challenges, suggestions, uh, stuff we've seen, stuff we've not done right, stuff we've done right, you know, just kind of some weed control uh for this particular aspect. So where should we start, Kevin? Hmm. That's a good question. So, well, well go ahead. Let's, I guess we'll start up with wheat since wheat harvest is kind of on everybody's mind throughout the Midwest. We'll talk about uh, killing weeds in wheat uh, prior to harvest, post harvest. Um, and, you know, some of the challenges there. So, um, I guess the first thing, if you have to clean up a field, like we have to clean fields up quite a bit on wheat pre-harvest. Um, okay. we, you know, so uh, <clears throat> about uh, oh, several weeks, whatever the pre-harvest interval is on the particular chemical, we'll go out and kill those weeds. Um, you know, some of that may just be so they can harvest quicker um, because time is money in the custom cutting outfit of the world and uh some of it is just for grain quality ease of harvest you know and then sometimes well, you can't get through a field i mean if there's too many too many much stuff in there you're not going to get through parts of the field so if there's too much green material it plugs up your sieves and then you <laughs> everything just slides out the back of the combine <laughs> then you make no money oh uh, we we had a, a couple years ago we were wet and uh, it was one of the few times we have had to do a pre-harvest burn down. And um, there was a 30 bushel increase in yield from doing it. Yeah. And I think that's so why it it's standard practice for it us. It can be substantial. Yeah. And that's, I think, why guys here do it all the time. It's because they, they did it. It works. And if it's kind of on the fringe of whether you need it or not, we're going to plant another crop within a two to three week window after that wheat's harvested. So you're not, you're not losing money. It's going to help you right. on the next crop to go ahead and get ahead of some of that stuff. So it's, you know, almost standard practice to come in on a hundred percent of the acres if you're going to have a crop anyway. So, well, and I guess one watch out is that a lot of the chemistries are the stuff that can be used pre harvest burn down and I guess in wheat you're probably looking at only a seven to 10 day window if that to get it um get everything cut before the plants start being really rubbery yeah ropey you can't get through them you know um yeah. you know because a lot of them burn all the leaves off which is good but then they will regrow yeah and then you got to worry about pre-harvest interval you know, oh, no doubt. Yeah. some yeah. of them, yeah. you know, you got to stay legal and stuff because we only sure. make legal recommendations at CropQuest. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, disclaimer. yes, we have a disclaimer <laughs> on our reports and our podcast. So you're welcome, Dwight. But, but, but I mean, to be honest, we, I don't make off-label recommendations. That's a good way to lose your job and a lot of money. No matter if you're a consultant or a rep or you work for a chemical dealer, that's just not a good thing to do anyway. So, man, you're full of disclaimers <laughs> this morning. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, 
<laughs> Back to killing weeds. <laughs> um, you know, we've had that problem too with them kind of coming ropey and uh, we have a lot of, um, we call them gherkins. They're a melon, a, a cucurbit species. They're just several uh, types of wild watermelons, sort of. And so you have a watermelon vine and when that thing will become rope. If you, you know, like you're talking yeah. about Kevin, it with, if it comes, if you kill it halfway, you could use it, you know, to tie things. I mean, it is not, <laughs> no doubt rope. So it's a very slippery slope to not, not fill your, you know, have this interweaved rope in your wheat that you're trying to, to harvest. So, um, and you got to think too with us, we're harvesting wheat in May. So it's, you're still wet. You will have been wet. June is extremely dry. So we're coming off of some rain. We'll have a good flush. Summer weeds are in full swing. So you're going to have careless weeds, big weeds, morning glory. You're going to have everything in May here, you know? Yeah. And I guess that's why it's different, you know, in Kansas, um, because we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Typically we're dry and, and, most cases, the only time we have to worry about that is we have a really wet spring. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, the year in particular that I was talking about earlier, uh, we didn't have any rain for half a year. Like most of all uh, winter and everything, and then all of a sudden, boom, got rain and germinated everything, and that's why we had all the problem. Because you know, yeah, nobody sprayed. Nobody sprayed ahead because it was so dry, didn't need it. Yeah. Not like spring. <laughs> You know, you spray post and wheat before you joint, and it it doesn't carry anyway. But um, yeah, you just hope there's enough of a canopy to choke something out. But for sure, well, and and that's a good point. That that's yeah. really what you're banking on. And if you have thin wheat stands, you know you're gonna have some weed pressure. And if you have moisture, once you know the canopy starts to thin because of dry down it's the same thing as kind of having a thin stand. Cause you don't have, you don't have that ground cover with dried wheat. It, right. When it's shriveled and on its way down. Um, yeah. And I, I guess, you know, the second consideration is when to spray after harvest, you know, cause um, whether using a stripper header or a platform, you could have cut or damaged weeds, you know, those, uh, can, those can be tough to kill. Yep. Yeah, and it's a it's a fine line because um, a lot of times for us the Palmer amaranth are spindly, so they're easier to kill. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but you gotta wait for them to grow a little bit so that they're not yeah. they're not gonna come back with a vengeance on you. Yeah, you know, and and since we're gonna come back in with a crop, uh, a lot of times we will pre-water for herbicide interesting because you're not yet pre-water you know we're so if we have wheat stubble we're going to strip till into that and we're either going to have sesame we're going to have peanuts maybe cotton maybe corn or sweet corn um so it either way it's going to be strip tilled if it's wheat that's been dried you know how that that uh wheat does it just it's like makes the ground a brick you know it's just it just, some people some people call it you, you have a bunch of straws <laughs> poked into the ground <laughs> and then you got wind blowing across the straw. <laughs> it just siphons all the moisture out of the ground. And that's exactly what it does. That yeah. is, and so <laughs> pre-watering 
before you spray your herbicide for us, one helps clean the weed, you know, get the weeds healthy. But two, we're going to have to do it a couple times just to get a strip till rig in the ground. I mean, we don't want to throw sparks when it hits the, it's the hard pavement of the wheat field. Well, you know, if you've ever driven by a wheat field and got out of it on a hot day when the wind's blowing, right after harvest, there's a lot of reflection and a lot of heat. I think that's the main reason why it gets like concrete. Yeah. Because it's just so hot. And it oh, stays yeah. hot. And then it reflects. Yeah. yeah. Then you got a lot of folks that enjoy match till, really add the heat to it, you know. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You you would say that. You your family are are lovers of match till. Well, you know, actually, uh, I don't I don't I don't utilize that in my uh, <laughs> agronomic tool bo- toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a gentleman. We we don't consult for this guy, but he. Uh, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I won't name any names. And he, I won't even say what town he's in. He's west of town. He has a large area west of the one of these towns that we work around and everybody knows uh that oh that smoke cloud oh he's just burning his corn stalks it's just oh it's june or you know or whenever you know like it's just kind of a normal thing <laughs> so you know it's kind of interesting there there's certain parts of the world that in the evening time it's kind of cool they've got a lot of wheat fields on fire you just see kind of an orange haze on the horizon yeah. when they're getting after it you know, and it's not, it's not a bad thing to do, really. No, it's not. It's it's surely not, as long as every, everything cooperates. The, the bad thing is if you have those pesky pivots, you got to be very, <laughs> you know, if you're a, a, if you flood fields or, or something like that, which this gentleman has, he burns his flood fields, not his pivots, but. Uh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because, I mean, it's kind of hard to light one end of a circle and the thing in the middle of it that costs so much money not to burn it to the ground. Well, it's called working, you know, a fire barrier. And then you turn the thing on cause it does, water does come out of it. Right. I don't know if it's necessarily a fire. <laughs> if, a, <laughs> if a pivot will extinguish the fire before it burns. Itself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a, 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 we're not advertising that. Here's another, <laughs> don't listen to Kevin. That's not a good idea. Keep the matches away from your farms and kids. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't take up smoking, please. No. <laughs> um, so back to killing weeds post wheat harvest. Um, you have damaged weeds. Uh, you may have a lot of smaller weeds too, though. If they're below the canopy. Mm-hmm. They're out of the way. And those are always easier to kill. Um, yeah, and I think the, the other thing to think about is most – Man, I guess I'm relating this back to Kansas still, but our environment, we don't have any humidity because typically we're hot. Um, and that, that provides another obstacle in the herbicide realm because we don't have enough humidity to kill. So um, as in your part of the world, that's probably not an issue. No, we're, we're you know, about as low as we get 15, 20% humidity, but we're a lot closer to 30 40 most days so liberty works extremely well for us oh i bet it does yeah i bet it does so but but, but the and, nice thing is for us that the, the wheat's gonna sit for 
well, probably all, all summer and, and could be most of the winter, you know, we're, we're don't, we're not handcuffed to any, uh, certain herbicide due to restriction on rotation intervals at all. Yeah. Um, so the, our, our toolbox is completely open. Um, but, uh, it is important to get things kind of taken care of or it, get weeds hit as hard as they can now because if you don't it'll be a mess and then potentially you're going to have to use an iron to control weeds and then you lose cover and some benefit uh uh, you know of having cover to catch snow or winter moisture snow what a dirt dirty dirty four-letter word (laughs) snow is an evil thing kevin goes back to a previous podcast we were talking about Ethan's uh, inability to handle cold temperatures. Yes, I die. Yeah, it's not it's not conducive to my uh, thin blood, you know. It starts <laughs> to coagulate and I die. It's happened <laughs> three times. But so does Roundup what is the Roundup resistance like in your area? Is it pretty well full blown or no, I wouldn't say that. Um, now, it's kind of a catch-22, if you will. Roundup is more or less an adjuvant <laughs> on broadleaves. You know, obviously, it still works on all on our grasses, but when it comes to pigweeds and stuff, it, it's just another mode of action that's in the tank. Um, you know, obviously, a pigweed has so many different growing points coming out that you may kill a, a few, but that's why they're so hard to kill. Um, or cause they regrow really easy. Um, but I would say, yeah, I, we, we haven't seen it. Um, but having said that a couple years ago, oh, a couple years ago, it's probably been five or eight. We've started approaching kosher as we attack it early before it even comes up and it's to the point now we, we know with the pigweed, it's the same thing. And yeah. it's pretty common in the chemical world, layer residuals. They keep hammering that into everybody. You know, you don't need to see a weed to spray. And I think that that's important. Um, you know, a lot of these weeds are very, very receptible when they're shooting up out of the soil surface versus once they start having leaves and growing points, then, um, who knows what can happen after that. They fight back a lot better once they have more leaves. Yep. They're able to metabolize that. Well, well this is, this and- is a weird analogy, but I'm going to go this way. So we worry about like with growth regulator and cotton, you have to think about a constant level uh, you know, of growth regulator in the plant to keep it slowed down. Mm-hmm. So if you go too long, it starts growing. Like there's such thing as putting growth regulator out before you need it. Cause you're, right. you're trying to keep it constantly in the plant now. So think about concentrations in a plant, bigger plant needs higher rates more, you know, to sustain that level. So you take that analogy and go to weeds, you know, concentration levels in a plant. If you got a bigger plant, it's going to take a lot more to do the same result of a smaller one, you know, and if you use the same rates, because that's all the, you know, if, if you can only run a pound of atrazine, that's it. You're, you're whatever, or, uh, you know, a yeah. quart of Roundup. Is that what's legally allowed? It's going to work better. That concentration is going to be more lethal 
on a two inch weed versus a two foot weed for sure. You know, and, and you're legally bound by a label and you have to follow that. So the concentrations are going to work better at smaller number. And, and if you prevent it from coming up, it's even better. Residuals are always going to be more of a, uh, you know, if, if you prevent the problem, you never have the problem. So. I mean, well, and I think it just, it, for many years prior to us here in this podcast, <laughs> you know, you had, you saw weed and then you approached it and you, uh, you know, you wanted to kill it because you could see it. And, and I think that seeing a weed was a justification in doing it. And I still think that's a big hurdle for some folks. Um, and, you know, if you don't have an agronomist or in your farm spread out, you may not be able to go look at every field. And so you drive by it, let's say 10 mile an hour. Oh, no, we're clean. Well, no, actually you weren't. You had, you had stuff emerging. Yeah, and then by the time you're you're back around, you know, pigweed can grow a foot in two weeks, easy. And, I think you're uh, being very kind. I know, I know, but it then could, at that point you have a severe problem, and yeah. iron's probably the only way you're going to fix it. Yeah, and and for those people out there in the uh, areas that don't till anything, Kevin means a plow or a cultivator. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> a sweep is what we call it. We call everything a plow in South Texas. It, it, a mold bore is a plow. A, a, a uh, rotary hoe is a plow. Oh, okay. It, everything's a plow. So, it, so we're just talking language here. Yes. <laughs> Definitions. Yes. So um, we, we even had a guy cut a tree out of an old one-way disc last year and started using the one-way again. So. Are you serious? Yeah. He had a, it was on the fence row. He had to cut a tree out of it. He replaced the hydro, you know, they're so, it's such a simple machine. It has one hydraulic ram and like two hoses. You put a new ram and two hoses on it, new set of discs. And uh, where he had pockets of resistance before we uh, planted peanuts. And then on his corners is where a lot of the resistance started from just constant doses of Roundup because there's not much else. He didn't want to spend much money on there besides that, which is, I think, pretty, you know, par for the course. Uh, he started using the one-way uh, disc again, and it made it made a difference. I mean, you it, it kind of kind of stopped some spread of those seeds. We can still see in our yield maps here in Southwest Kansas the evidence of one-ways in certain areas. Really? Yeah, it looks like a a box that's cut into triangles. You know, because they can only go one way, obviously. Yeah. And you can still see it in a dry year. Uh, it'll still it still shows up. That's crazy. Why do yeah, you think it, that it is? A lot of things. I don't yeah. think it's just one thing. Yeah. Well, you know, every kind of well, it goes back to the weed conversation we're having now. You know, everything we do has consequences, good or bad, right? And I think that um, you know, you let a weed grow, you lose moisture, you gain seeds in your seed bank. And it's no different with the one way, you know, you, you do things for so long in the same direction, you're going to have a pattern. You know what I mean? You have, basically you have furrows in places with the one way, cause you can only go one direction. Yeah. You know, any, 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 <laughs> any way you spin it. <laughs> well, and then, then, you know, then you have dry areas or because you have a furrow when you did get rain, that's where all the rain sat. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's where all the weed seeds blew, 
when you had tumbleweeds blow across everything and then what'd you do? You one weighed it again and worked, <laughs> worked it all in. So yeah. it's not just, just one, one thing causing the problem. Yeah. There's a reason why there's a tree in this, in this one way disc, you know, yeah. it's been used for a while. So. <laughs> Back since the thirties. <laughs> yeah. 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 It actually didn't have a three point hitch. It had one for a mule. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> no. All the leather that, was that weird. is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was, it was kind of ironic. Four horsepower, right? Yeah, four horsepower. Yeah, I don't know. Or or mules and and horse horses. You know, it's four mules, like four point two horsepower. You know, like do you gain a little Probably, bit? Yeah, I'd you have know? to look. That, I'd have to ask some questions and really. <laughs> I don't think that that's true, but <laughs> oh, I, mean, I wonder. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. We're that going to really have on. anything to do with engine displacement. Uh, well, <laughs> how does converting it to the power of a horse have anything to do with engine displacement? <laughs> <laughs> that is one unit of measurement I've never quite understood. But, yeah. yeah, I feel like we're beyond this. But. Speaking of being beyond things, we are beyond the scope of this podcast. So, Ethan, let's What's say that you have went out and you've um, you've done things timely. Maybe you've uh, post post sprayed and had issues and and didn't fully kill weeds, or you pre um, pre harvest things got out of control, clipped them off. They're coming back. What do you do? I think in a perfect world, you water. I think that I've seen that make such a difference. If you have the water or, or if you get a rain um, and you spray after that and not let them get big, try to get them small. Um, a healthy weed is much easier to kill. The smaller weed is easier to kill. And if you can, um, you know, put a light shot on since you've already, you didn't kill it pre-harvest, you clipped it, it's probably unhealthy from being dry. I think a pass of water is a, uh, I think you get your money out of that. I, I know you don't get it on the crop, but on your herbicide um, kill, I think it does help tremendously because I've, we've, we do that. I mean, you know, and I realize that our water situation is a lot different and we're also coming in with another crop. So it's a little more justifiable for some parts of the world your wheat is not, it's going to sit idle till you plant corn next year. You know, so you, that water is such a precious thing that you don't want to do it. Um, you know, I, I could see where a guy wouldn't want to want to try that, but I think if you did, you would be happy with your results. What, what do you think in a dryland situation? Um, what's dryland crops? Is that where your prickly pear and uh, mosquito are or? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yeah, we're talking yeah. about mesquite right now. Okay, with mesquite, uh, tordon <laughs> and remedy, maybe some uh, more triclop here, and uh, but, or a goat. Goat. <laughs> goat. Yes. Um, petty. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, for a dryland situation, um, I think I'm. I'm I don't know. I don't have, I don't have much experience with dry land. We just don't, it doesn't exist here. It doesn't rain enough for us yeah. to have a whole lot. So, um, I don't know, Kevin, you're the dry land expert. So I'm going to, I'm going to come at you a different angle 
And I agree, but disagree with you. Okay. Because I think that once we miss things with chemical, if we come back with chemical, the, you know, the likelihood of us doing good or zero. Even if you switch the, the chemistry. Yeah. But I mean, so, you know, without going into great detail, typically, and and I'm going to stay away. Well, we'll go post harvest. If we do, or pre-harvest. If we do pre-harvest, it's going to be some sort of burner. You know what I mean? Like we're going to just try and wipe all the leaves off or bend them down either way. So you're look, you know, maybe 240 or aim or something like that. And if we come back, you know, it's going to be 240 or if we were to come back after harvest, after the weeds are actively growing, similar deal. And our options are just limited, you know, and, and if, if the weeds missed, in my mind, water does help, but you still got two options. You, you come back with gramoxone and hope it works, which it won't. It's not going to be a hundred percent. Or you come back with iron. That's the only surefire way to control things, unfortunately, after after things have been missed. But like, that, like like yeah, like I'm saying though, it's it's still a factor of the environment I'm used to here versus the environment you're used to down there. Yeah. And you know, we don't have, we, there is some dry land, but it's very small. You know, what, what the farmland we have here was brushed that was rescued and it was root plowed and, you know, trees are stacked up and burned and went from mesquite brush to farmland. So a lot of times when you did that, you knew what size field you wanted and that's what size pivot you have. Oh, I got you. You know, um, there's not just vast swaths of prairie, you know, it, it all, if it's not rapid, I mean, I have mesquite trees and, and pivots that are new, you know, cause if, it takes years to actually get all that out. And if you stop farming it, you know, uh, somebody passes away, sells a farm, something, something happens and a field's not actively cultivated and farmed, uh, mesquite trees will pop up in two or three years. They're just they are uh there's something for sure it's weed down there <clears throat> yes and also everybody does love you for the wood that you provide for smoking i wouldn't smoke that i don't know what you're smoking <laughs> uh funny joke, funny joke. <laughs> it is very mesquite is a very it's the uh premier wood to uh barbecue with you're welcome yeah. america yeah 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 so but you know it, with that said you know with our dry land uh, the little bit we do have, a lot of guys do plow. Um, or if we can catch a rain, they immediately come in with uh, a spectrum of hormone or burners, you know. And, and do well, and I think it comes down to budget. Yeah. In the end, if you spend, this is going to be really generic and off, but let's say you spend 10 bucks after you cut, didn't do a good job. Do you want to keep keep continue spending ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five dollars, even in residuals, or do you just want to come back and work it? You know what I mean? Because working it, working it's going to be in that five, ten ish range, probably. Yeah. You know, and losing that that moisture when you have that much more time to build it back, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. In my well, mind. just outside of you know, you could be in a sand situation where you can't. Yeah, um, you know it depends. You know, you're, if you're heavy ground, maybe you don't worry about it. But there, there are some some 
pieces of property that should have never been farmed and they have sand hills that blow bad that move and over that, they're, like, they're like sand dunes that just shift. Yeah. you can't really map the field they just move yeah right. yeah yeah um so it is a challenge for sure there's no there's there's multiple pr- approaches I guess. well and, and you know what works for me and you maybe you won't work for our listeners or our listeners have something that works you know better for them than than we even think about so and i guess to what uh, something i should say to the listeners is don't uh, be afraid to do something different you know just because your neighbor's doing something try something else there may be a little bit you know a little different maybe a little better the same way people have done it for a hundred years is not always the answer if you've if you've worked the ground every year well maybe try some chemicals once you know there's there's always there's benefits from doing something different from year to year as well so well it's positive you're changing it up because mother nature will always have the last laugh yeah what does jurassic park say life always finds a way something like that that's true that's why we're here yeah and that's why we fight insects or new things every year too you know yeah yeah it will every so often something flutters up you know so all right i want to back up a little bit and talk about resistance in a different way i guess so when we have basically virgin farmland that's been brushed for 30 years roundup works so well you could open it a jug of it and put it in the back of your truck and drive around the field and kill weeds they're so, so susceptible. And I've come to, and I, you know, I'm not a weed scientist and I may be wrong. So throw this out if you think I'm stupid, but it seems that when you start off with weeds that are so sensitive to Roundup, that resistance is not a switch that just on and off. Resistance is a slow, you know, progression to resistance and it starts with the first application of Roundup. You know, I've, I'll notice on some farms that, you know, the first year that the, it's in cultivation, it's beautiful. The next year, it takes another week for stuff to completely die. Not everything dies, but it takes longer, which that's not resistance, but the plants are obviously doing something different to metabolize that than they did the year before. Well, but I think it's environmental, Ethan. Like what what other conditions are present to maybe change that could be just a slight a slight tweak to make things maybe not work as well. You know what I mean? To where yeah. you have more seeds in the seed bank and then before you know it, you have a huge amount of seeds. Um yeah. you know, uh, we see this corn ground or in a lot of other chemistries too lights out for three years maybe maybe one year then the next year all of a sudden wait a minute there was a couple of fields that it didn't work on and then like you're saying it continues to get worse yeah um and and that's that's why we're at where we're at and you know i've even heard and this has no merit or anything but that you know the advent of roundup screwed things up because it allowed people to spray what was a chemical that killed everything it worked well it was cheap. So everybody did it. It's like, that's the reason why DDT was so bad. Well, DDT was bad because of other reasons, but DDT did that in the cotton market, you know, in the forties and fifties, you had outrageous yields that took 20 years to get back there. 
because you didn't have insects. <laughs> they all died. Right. And so did the mice and so did the bald eagles. And so, you know, Deer. so did you if you stayed in there too long, you know, but you know, it took decades to get yields back to that point because of that. And what you're saying, you know, it, is very valid. It, it was such a, you know, nuclear bomb that just, it was easy. Sheep, clean everything yeah. up. And I, well, and we, everybody, we all evolve and, and we learn year to year and generation to generation. And just like we're talking, we went from, you know, I, well, even before, if you talk to um, those that were around when atrazine came out, you know, and atrazine worked lights out, um, you know, they got to a point to where they were rotating residuals and they were doing things like we were doing now, but then something was introduced that changed that and it changed the line of thinking for a while. And now we're yep. back to where we started. Yep. And there, there'll be something new. Something there new will come out. Unfortunately, there's just, it, it's hard to come out with anything new chemistry wise because the EPA. The uh, politics of it. There's, it's yeah. such a, uh, yeah. it is what it is. Well, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're yeah. on, there's a lot of government red tape that any molecule, whether it's for insects or it's a, you know, herbicide or, or whatever, there's a lot well, of red tape that it has to go through. And I guess we should throw in an, uh, an avid advocacy, uh, spiel here i guess if you will you know we don't do this or we're not agronomists to to hurt anyone either you know yes we do, we do to because you know we want to eat we want to survive and we want other people to survive and to feed the world you know if it was detrimental to me and my family or my kids there's no way i would do it you know no and especially That's especially uh, us as agronomists we walk in a lot of this stuff so you know um I only twitch a little bit, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Only on Tuesdays and only my left nostril. Yeah. But seriously, you know, I mean, um, the government or the EPA does have their reasons for doing what they do, but, you know, we're still trying to feed the world. It, you know, um, I think people like us and, and people, you know, farmers in particular, are some of the biggest stewards of the land. They're, they're more of a steward of the land than any body in politics because their livelihood directly is affected by how the land that they own performs. They want well, their land to be healthy. They want their land to be fertile and profitable. You know, they're not going to do anything. To, you know, we're not in the time where people dump nuclear waste in the middle of a field and try to grow corn on it. I mean, that's gone. People are not that dumb anymore. You know, I mean, they're, farmers are smart folks and they do they are very you know this is the land is everything to them well and they, and if, if it's not productive then they themselves are not profitable and then they themselves can't live yeah so they're they're not going to do things to hurt the environment you know but sorry i, I just had to put in a plug not to go too far off into the realm of politics. Yeah, you know, and, and we, we hope we didn't get too political for folks, but, you know, this this is our livelihood and we're passionate about this and this is why we do it. You know, we're, we, um, we enjoy what we do, but we feel like we, at least I do, feel like I make it, the world a better place 
at least on Tuesdays. You know? <laughs> when you're not twitching. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it is my Twitch day. See, the chemicals get in my brain. I forget my Twitch day. <laughs> but another thing I want to talk a little, I know we're kind of getting close to the end, but um, another thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was, was um, carrier and coverage and pressure mm. a little bit. Um, that's, on a whole, our, that's in a whole nother podcast. That's true. Could be. It could be. But uh, a little bit. We'll give it a little sneak preview about coverage. Let's give you some coverage on coverage. See if we can cover this in five minutes. Oh, man. Man, you're full of puns today. That's punny. Very punny. Uh, so, um, just, I guess, to start with, do you, what kind of carrier volumes do you get in your area? A half a gallon per acre. Do you think that performs better than five gallons in certain situations? No, all kidding aside, a lot of us are probably somewhere around 10 to 12 ish but i know that there's a lot of custom application stuff that's five to eight um and i think it depends on you depends is this this with a ground rig or an airplane ground rig and it depends every every ground rig operator is a little different in how they set up their pressures and and nozzles and all that and and some some people can do very well at the lower gallonage um, where others perform better at the higher gallonage, but obviously I would prefer coverage over skimping. Yeah. Now, you know, out of an airplane, we really don't have a, we don't have a choice. What, what is it? What is a standard for an airplane? Do you really know? That's true. <laughs> no, probably, um, you know, if they're flying herbicide stuff, it's probably five-ish. And if it's insecticide, it's probably two, two to three. Okay. Yep. So for us, an airplane, we get six. And there's a price that you can go up to eight. And eight is a price difference, but they will put eight out. Um, ground rigs usually start at eight and go up all the way to 20. Um so, and a lot of the reason why that is we have a lot of vegetables. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. that, and so folks are, whether it's a pilot or whether it's a, a ground rig because it's a farmer owned or a custom applicator, everyone is, is trained to with their mind about coverage being important on vegetables because with, you know, if it's a lettuce or a cabbage, every leaf has to look pretty just, that's just as important as a lot of yield. You know, you don't want to look at a cabbage at the, grocery store and it looked you know it's full of burn and they didn't put enough water so the surfactant just roasted it you know so anyway but because of that i realized we were in an area where we have a lot of of a lot of water um that goes out on on crops was carrier so um well I i would say that we we do we do see 20 yeah um but it, it it's probably in a situation where weeds are too big or too thick and so we're opting gallons are cheap you know you can (laughs) that's what it amounts to spend more money in chemical or you can just run more gallons for coverage and do a better job and and that's kind of what i wanted to get at was uh, was d is going back to our previous talks on this how does 
you know, how does your gallons affect some of your recommendations? You know, if you have um, the first pass didn't make it, well, would you try tell a guy to try 20 gallons and try it one more time before you bring the, the disc out or the sweep out or just bring the sweep out? Just bring the sweep. You heard it, folks. Kevin Heck is anti-no-till. <laughs> It's not anti-no-till, it's anti-weeds. <laughs> He's no-no-till. Yes. No-no-till. I'm all for minimum-till. I like to plow. I mean... Yeah. There are benefits to it. When you flip the soil, you know, with a moldboard, it is just nice. You know, you know we've, you. we've just created two podcasts right now, right? I know. <laughs> I'm, I apologize to the listeners. We talked, we talked about weeds. We talked about <laughs> coverage. We talked about nothing at all. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed yourself, folks. I did. We, we try to be a little bit entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, we're who you got. So hope yep. you enjoyed it. If you didn't, then I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, hopefully your mind will change. Please send hate mail to. No, do not. No. <laughs> no. No. Don't do that. Oh, shoot. But. Um, we to wrap it up, Ethan. All right. Well, we'll I think I think what we should do is um, maybe look at uh, those ideas for uh, we can we can expound more on another podcast on uh, spray cup or um, on on more the the spraying type stuff. You know, gallon. I'll tell you what, all that. Colt. Why don't you call this podcast Weed Control Part One, and we'll have a follow up next. Uh, the next podcast yeah just drag this conversation on to the next one and um we'll go from there because i think there's a lot left on the table that we could share with folks um you know we kind of got the pre-harvest post-harvest and um start dabbling with coverage and we'll continue on the next time so. nope nope i think that sounds good and maybe we can uh call in an expert we could we'll try and maybe 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 that's what we got to do call in yeah. somebody we we dipped our toe in a bigger topic than what time would allow. So, yep, um, I think it's so, probably a good breaking point. Yep. So, Colt, why don't you share with the folks where they can find us and send some anything but hate mail to us? So, <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to reach out, uh, you can reach us at media at cropquest dot com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook uh, at cropquest inc. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So once again, folks, for Kevin Heck, I am Ethan Diver, and we were wrapping up the Turn Row podcast. So we enjoyed it. Hope you do. We'll see you all next time. See you.